0: Hey everyone welcome back to another edition of the cmo series on the scale of one to tech podcast this month's guest is my fenton my is cmo over at superscript she's a 20-year marketing veteran who's previously worked at companies like unidays pentland brands and tk Maxx. now being an asian woman Mai has endured her fair share of challenges throughout her career which has shaped her professional mindset join us on the other side as we talk all about breaking barriers this episode of the scale of one to tech is sponsored by eOpinion. eOpinion is on a mission to change the face of the survey industry by captivating and entertaining your users and customers They use 30-second speedy polls to create interesting stories, actionable insights and increase engagement. Listeners of the Scale of One to Tech podcast can get a half-price speedy poll by heading over to eopinion.org forward slash Alex. My welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alison. Thanks so much for having me today.
0: It's lovely to have you on, on this uh, very brisk December uh, <laughs> December afternoon. Look, I wanted to, um, to start off the podcast today with some quick fire questions. It was something that I did last month with James Hamlin. I thought it was a nice, a nice way to introduce you to, uh, to mm-hmm. the audience. So my, if I may, first one, when I was young, I wanted to be a?
1: I wanted to be a surgeon.
0: Okay. When I was young. <laughs> Why was that?
1: I wanted to save life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something really meaningful. And then I discovered that I was better at other things throughout my educations. I do come from a a sort of medical family background, I guess. My father was uh, in the medical profession, a professor of medicine, tropical diseases and so on. So yeah, I kind of regret not being good enough at certain topics to, to make it to be a surgeon, but things change.
0: So tell me, tell me next. Then my first job was
1: my first job was a summer job as a student, stacking shelves in a supermarket in the footwear department. So <laughs> having the lucky job of pairing up shoes at the end of a of a very busy day, quite cruel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I wasn't a marketeer, I'd be a
1: yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I can't answer a surgeon, uh, but you know, I would be. I would be working, I think I would be working in a, in a people HR role mm-hmm. or I would be working for a social mobility charity.
0: Okay. That's cool. What are you, what are you currently reading?
1: Ah, uh, well, I've started, I've just started a new book, which is Men's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's quite an old one that I probably should have read ages ago, but it was recently recommended by one of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the beginning of my journey and I thought I really like the, the the premise of the book and the author kind of retelling his, his story as a survivor of concentration camps and mm-hmm. what, what he learned about you know, surviving through this kind of focus on a new purpose in life.
0: Very nice. Very nice. And the final one, my tell us something about you we wouldn't get from your CV or LinkedIn profile.
1: Well, I get my best ideas when I'm asleep at night.
0: Okay.
1: I get some really good ones, well, big or small, but I often wake up with some Fantastic idea about a marketing campaign or a new product feature, things that (laughs) are a bit uh, (laughs) extreme, things that uh, actually we we managed to bring into some of our our creative brainstorms and make something of.
0: Nice. So do do you get up and jot it down quickly so you don't forget it or...?
1: No, no, I don't. I don't. But I usually remember in the morning. Oh, I mean, nice. To, to nice. be honest, when I wake up, I struggle to go back to sleep often when I've had an amazing idea.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've had a few of those and, and you wake up, I've woke up the next morning and I go, I remember that being really good, but what was it? So yeah, I, <laughs> I have to try and pop it on my phone or send it to myself as an email. But okay, lovely. So my, your CMO at Superscript, what is Superscript all about and what makes it unique?
1: Ah, so, Superscript. Superscript is a, is a tech scaler that's changing the way business is insured So, mm-hmm. and by putting the customer first. So, so, what we do is we combine our in-house expertise in broking with next-gen tech, data, and machine learning in order to offer fully guided custom built insurance, mm-hmm. uh, which small businesses can purchase by monthly subscription and fully online if they want to or with assistance or advice if they prefer. So, we basically flip things around versus traditional insurance. If you think about it, first, we we debundle insurance and Mm -hmm. instead we provide customizable cover that matches each business's individual profile. But also with Superscript, you're not locked into annual contracts. You can buy your Business insurance as a monthly subscription, meaning you can edit your cover or Mm -hmm. you can add or remove uh, products monthly as you need and without penalty. So when you think of the pivots businesses have had to make during the pandemic, I think Mm -hmm. it's really clear to see how relevant and valuable our proposition is to to SMEs. Uh, Because it's not just a global distillery that's uh, moving from in production to hand sanitizer production, mm-hmm. but it's it's the restaurant that turns into a grocery supplier, it's the, the physical shop or the yoga teacher that, that moves fully online. So but simply what makes us unique is we provide customizable, flexible, subscription based insurance designed for for the ever-changing needs of, of small
0: businesses. Okay, lovely. Give us an overview of yourself though. How how have you got to where you are today as CMO at Superscript? What's your what's your journey been?
1: It's been a long journey. I've uh, I've been in marketing for for 20 years or so, and mm-hmm. uh, I've worked across various industries, uh, including consumer packaged goods. I mean, we. We call it FMCG here in the UK, but lifestyle and retail and e-commerce. And before I landed in in tech, and you know, I think during my career, I've made loads of moves from one industry to another, from roles that are had very different scopes and objectives. And I thing that's uh, that's probably what led me to Superscript is the diversity in my background and experience mm-hmm. that uh, a business like Superscript needed to take them to the the next level to Series A. And I guess during my career, uh, in different shapes of form, I've led marketing efforts at businesses of all sizes, in fact, you know, from, from seed to established corporates, to help supercharge user growth, and customer engagement. So it's the, the customer acquisition side of things. It's about making your platform sticky and getting customers to, to constantly engage with, with your product and your brand. I think that, uh, that that was valuable for for the founders of SuperScript. So I joined about two years ago when when it was called Digital Risks okay. as the first chief marketing officer. And uh, we went through a series A round of funding in 20. 19, mm-hmm. and you know, heading towards uh, our next round now. So it's really, really exciting times.
0: Nice. Something that I really liked about your background and profile, similar, I think, with uh, a few episodes uh, ago, interviewing Shearer from Trinity London, is this, is the fact that you kind of made that transition from, sort of you had an FMCG, fashion, B2C, retail background, coming into a sort of tech-driven startup environment. How did you find making that transition and and what have been some of the i guess key differences between the environments that you've been in before and and this sort of tech environment
1: i think to start with i think throughout my career i've made quite significant changes Mm. it's it's, talking moving from from cpgs to bricks and mortar retail from bricks and mortar to e-commerce and then to wholesale even i've done i've done a bit of of everything so i I guess I'm used to adapting and also bringing with me key skills and talents that transcend industries and are valuable mm-hmm. in my next job. And I guess a lot of this was obviously useful for me moving to Superscript. And, and I transferred a lot of it into Superscript you know, coming from a consumer business and marketing superscript as a b2b technically a b2b business but as a consumer brand is something that i'm able to do because of my my history in b2c but i guess what i didn't expect which is really fascinating is superscript being a tech business and insurance business is the the amount of of data we have at our fingertips and the transition has been really super exciting it's it's the, the whole the whole discovery of data we we have at hand and how we can leverage it to on every front where there is a demand side of things and optimizing campaigns and targetings and conversion rates and product, et cetera. So I have to say, there's been a big, big learning curve for me, but I think all in all, it all came together. I think this is what made me a, a stronger marketer to take on the role, such as Superscript, you know, in ShioTech. Mm-hmm. In, in and it's really fast moving. The, 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 I was lucky to have always been in roles that were fast moving, uh, really at pace in trying to do a lot as well mm-hmm. uh, and being able to juggle different things every time
0: what i wanted to ask you my as well I, I get the i say i get the perception i think i've seen it out there and others have said it with, within the ecosphere as b2b marketing can sometimes be seen as boring marketing uh, versus say some of the b2c consumer side of things having experienced sort of both sides of the fence is it why do you think B two B gets such a bad rep? And, and what are your thoughts between the two?
1: Does it steal though? Does it steal though? I'm not sure, actually, Alex. I think, uh, yeah, back in the days when I was in BTC, you're right. I think B two B was really had a bit of a reputation of being boring and yep. quite formulaic, and it's account based marketing and it's eBooks and conferences and trade shows. I think it's changed with how exciting it is to work with so much tech and data. Mm-hmm. I was really pleased to, to move to a B2B business because I see this as really complementing my experience in B2C and expanding my skill sets when it comes to tech stack and, and data stack and what, how I can leverage all of these for, for marketing. And I think there is a bit of a trend because probably if I'd moved into superscripts, five years ago you probably I would have been told this is a bad decision but I, th- I think for people it's it's definitely if you're a data-driven person this is far more uh, far more exciting place to be now I still think that there's a little bit of a B2B playbook out there mm-hmm. that many B2B companies tend to use and not necessarily trying to rip the playbook and do something different and it probably covers the fundamentals of B2B but I think that's um, I'd like to think that more and more now the lines the barriers between b two b and b two c are starting to to blurring because you know we're starting to recognize that um what matters to B2B is not just rational factors as technology features or price, but in fact, they're human after all. And they don't just focus on the the product, but decision makers are, you know, also people that are influenced by how they can emotionally connect with your business. And certainly we do that at Superscript. I think our marketing is is different to traditional ways of B2B marketing. Of course, there is the, you know, lead quality Mm -hmm. and lead funnel optimization, etc. but we, we started to really build a brand. We take creative and advertising in advertising very seriously. You know, it's not just about your product and and rational features. And we invest in that. We invest in in brand building. We invest in building a personality and voice to drive preference and to stand out. And I'd like to think that it's starting to change. And there's a few few businesses out there that we very well, you know, like like Shopify and mm-hmm. and others. So in my opinion, and maybe I'm a bit biased having <laughs> now joined a B2B business, I think it's not as boring
0: as it used to be. No, that makes sense. The human to human element is an interesting thing that you brought up because I've heard that as well before, that it's not about B2B or B2C. It's H2H, as I think someone coined it, human to so, human. But, but it's interesting to, to hear from your perspective, actually, with sort of experience of both sides of the coin, how maybe those lines have really been blurred now. So it's it's even on the B2B side, would you say it's, it's you take that sort of consumer marketing led approach? Um, okay, there are maybe different channels and assets that you use. You wouldn't necessarily do a paid campaign on LinkedIn if you were selling consumer goods, whereas obviously I'm sure you probably use it a lot more on the B2B side, but but ultimately it's it's doing a lot of the same things. So would you say, Mai, that that nowadays, would you recommend to someone who perhaps is in a, a senior marketing position that maybe has been very B2C focused their whole career, should they make that move perhaps and check out the other side of the fence, so to speak?
1: Absolutely. I think... Uh... You will find, with the right business, that you expand your your, your skill set. You complement your skill set so well by moving to B two B business, and it, you can still go back to B two C afterwards. Anyway, so many, so many of the disciplines and the the ways of thinking, and the ways to approach your marketing problems or your audience targeting are, you know, are very similar in their approach. On there, you might execute them differently, mm-hmm. but it's it's the same marketing thinking after all. You know, understanding your Your audience and, you know, how to find them, go after them, how to enhance your proposition and so on within. So yeah, the answer is a definite, definite
0: (laughs) yes. A definite yes, do it, do it, get some experience. My, the key theme, I I wanted the key theme of this podcast, obviously, to be around breaking barriers. You're in insure tech at the moment. I know other sort of tech spaces like FinTech here, They're, they're known for being quite male, white male dominated. Being an Asian woman yourself what are some of the challenges that that you faced throughout your your career working in environments like that? And I guess more importantly, how how have you overcome them or what have you done to overcome them? And and how do you think it's made you a stronger person?
1: Yes, I think uh, the, the challenges I faced is being a woman in a male-dominated team. It's not just an insurance, to mm-hmm. be have I've had prior roles where I was the only woman in the leadership team and Having to feel like I had to break the boys' club to be heard, it's being a woman, it's being an Asian woman, and I think it's because I'm I'm Vietnamese. I was brought up with such a certain culture of of humility, and I'm not the one to boast. I don't like to be in the limelight, that kind of stuff. And and other people are pretty good at that, right, being heard. So I had to face to overcome that personal hesitation in. In, in stepping in and, and being heard, and and to be honest, I, I struggle in the early years of my careers. And and one of the best advice I would give to, to young females is is believe in yourself, in what you know, in your skills, in what you've got to say. I've suffered post syndrome, like like I think quite a few women do. And um, I think that the first thing is is really know your worth and and appreciating what you're worth and the unique skills you bring to your role. And when I, once I overcame that, and also that I understood actually it's it's okay to fail or to not say the right thing straight away I was really able to to open up and and speak up in meeting and be heard and businesses realized the the value uh, I could bring to them it takes a lot of um, self-awareness, first mm. of all, that you're doing that thing that you don't want to be doing, and, and then a lot of, of effort in, in planning as well. So one of the things that I used to do when I was that more hesitant woman was really prepare ahead of a meeting. Right. Uh, if I can give some, some advice to younger versions of me, would be prepare for a meeting. Think of the three key things you absolutely must say and be the first one to say, because some of my biggest regrets or biggest mistakes in my early career was to keep quiet what was the fear? Being judged, I think. I think it was probably being judged when you're rather young, and I guess I've always worked in the UK, and English was not my first language. And there is this as well. I think is uh, saying it wrong or being judged for not saying it quite wrong, quite right. And actually, there's no right or wrong. And uh, yeah, this is this is how I came. Things, just tricky things I want to say, and it it really works. I, I'll check my to say list during conversations uh, get my point across and get the credit for it. I think in my current business it is challenging because we're not just an insurance business which Mm -hmm. is known to be white middle-aged male dominated but it's also a tech business it's incredibly difficult to bring more more women into the business we really want to we really want to readdress the balance we've we've put a lot of effort as a business to address that you know address some conscious biases at all levels whether it's in the way we write job description or how we evaluate candidates and so on and so forth but there's just not enough applicants for our roles because we tech plus insurance <laughs> blended in but we you know we, we take We've done things like we're sponsoring uh, Lara Bells, which is a community that okay. focuses on reducing barriers for women, mm-hmm. non-binary, trans, etc. In, in the world of, of Laravel. And personally, I, you know, even if I'm not the one to really like to push myself in the limelight, uh, I know that because I work on insurance, if I'm out there and people can see that an Asian woman can have a, uh, make an impact in insurance, it, it's a good thing. So yeah. uh, speaking on this podcast with yourself, Alexis, is an example of being more active in, in networks and LinkedIn and putting myself forward even for some, some awards like women in insurance, which I would not naturally do. But mm. I think it's important that people, and young female can see that you can have a very nice career in the insurance or in a tech business.
0: Definitely. And, and I guess having perhaps gone through some adversity throughout your career and, and, and into a, a position as you are now of CMO, do you feel, I guess, somewhat of an importance to, to be that role model for future women CMOs out there?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would like to think that I can help some future CMOs in, in that way and be a good role model.
0: Is there anything as well? I know you mentioned about sort of looking over job specs and making them more inclusive. Are there any ideas that, that you've had personally that you feel would be good for more businesses, certainly those in, in sort of male-dominated environments like InsurTech and FinTech and, and others that would help those businesses to attract more more female talent?
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. We need to, I think we need to engage far more um, in, in female communities. I need to do that more. There's there's a lot out there. The most challenging areas for us are in technology, engineering, mm-hmm. and in the, the breaking side of things, which are really, really male dominated. So, we need to get out there. I need, and the female in, in the superscript need to get out there more and, and showcase what a you know, great place it is to be for women. I mean, we, We're lucky to have founders that are exceptional like that. They they really mean it when they believe in diversity and want to bring more diversity and inclusion to to the business. So we we started to put together you know task force as well. And one of the things is is about that is reaching out to these uh, communities of younger. Younger networks as superscript through our female leaders at all level when I mean mm. leaders is really female female at all, all, all levels uh, I, I personally do some mentoring as well youth mentoring um, and it's not it's not about selling superscript or insurance specifically but I think it says I'm doing it as a female mm. mentor in a in a senior role as well because I think it's important for other young women to know that, you know, your career doesn't stop when you have kids, for example, or when you uh, when you reach a certain level, so I think it's, it's very, very important.
0: I was going to quickly ask you, though, and I'm happy, obviously, definitely plug in the community or communities, because there might be, right, some some female CMOs listening to this who, who would be interested in getting involved in, in those communities to help the next generation, or you never know, there might be... Um, a more junior female marketeer who would love to get into one of those communities to to help her get to to where you are as a CMO. What communities are have you got any names? Are there any particular sites that that these people can go to and get involved with?
1: Yes, there's a few uh, communities that I'm part of. One mm-hmm. is the FinTech Marketing Hub. It's for marketers in the FinTech industry. Okay. Another one is the CMO Alliance as well, which is followed by a network of not necessarily just CMOs, but marketers.
0: And are they female-specific communities or have they sort of branched branched off and got?
1: No, 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 they're not actually. But I, I, I probably should spend some time thinking about what female-focused communities I could sort of help engaging with
0: Definitely. You you mentioned about being a youth mentor my and is it, I think you do is it a charity for 16 year olds on the side? I mean how did you how did you get into that what what does it involve?
1: How did I get into that? I think one of my connections was uh, mentioned it on LinkedIn actually. Okay. Uh, there were a mentor for this charity called Brightside and I saw that and you know I do a lot of mentoring on the side which is not structured, right? So it's of my own back, and yep. I'll I'll just go and support young females of connections, etc. I'm very happy to take a phone call, talk for someone for half an hour who wants to know what to do with their career and so on. And I thought I could probably use that passion of mine to 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 the benefit of of more young people, mm-hmm. especially those who are more in need because they come from underprivileged backgrounds. So. I reached out to the, the charity, which is Brightside, mm-hmm. and, and became a, a mentor because they're, they're really a social mobility charity and they help young people from disadvantaged cold spots in the UK to, okay. that don't have a network, that don't have siblings or parents with a network with people to talk to, to have conversations with them about what they want to do in the future, education, uh, any other questions that they may have that they that it needs an experienced, more experienced person to help them with. And that's been, that's been really, really good because the feedback is, is always so nice. You, know? yeah. you can imagine there are young people that don't have anyone to talk to. It's all it's all been online. And uh, I've done a few programs now for Brightside. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased because you, every year they publish the the social impact results. And it seems like it's a program that mm-hmm. uh, is, is really valuable to the, the, the young people on the program.
0: Good, good. And that's really good to hear. Maya, I wanted to talk about t shaped marketeers It's something that that sort of came up in a an early episode with Mihal, but you've actually implemented that whole sort of t shaped marketeer philosophy if you like uh, at, at superscript. Why did you choose that path? how did you go about it what what have you what have you found to be the results off the back of it
1: it is it's very simple i think it's um it just starts with an attitude doesn't it so mm-hmm. i really wanted to put a a good emphasis on on collaboration because we're scaling business, we're scaling team. When I started nearly two and a half years ago, there was three of us in marketing. There's now 14 of us. So it's, it's, it's been scaling really fast. And with scaling, you tend to bring some experts, right, in individual channels, mm-hmm. uh, as you as you grow your team. But what I didn't want is for for them to work in silos. So, big emphasis on on collaborations. I, I tend to focus on team wins, not individual wins, uh, and I think that's really well that's really helped. So, I make it a focus basically that none of my team work in silos, and they they collaborate through campaigns and through mm-hmm. projects and it's not just amongst themselves but it's also with other departments the way we work at superscript is we work with growth squads which are multifunctional and bring marketing product tech analysts together yep. and that means as marketers we we pick up a lot of skills that we wouldn't otherwise so it's big emphasis on collaboration within marketing and, and and throughout the business so for example you know all we we all, all the team obviously is you know well versed in the marketing foundations of mm-hmm. you know audience and targeting and uh, you know, funnel optimization etc they've picked up also some extra skills like data coding they could all do content and social as well as having a, a specific expertise whether it's uh, PPC mm-hmm. whether whether it's CRM and I try to support that by giving them opportunities to get more in-depth knowledge in a particular skill so we have um, one of our team really keen to learn to code, working closely on some, some small projects with our engineering team. But I've, I've also bought a subscription to uh, Code Academy for, for those mm-hmm. of my team who wanted to learn to, to code. A lot nice. of them uh, took up the offer. And I think it's very important because, you know, for example, we can do a lot of the website updates ourselves. We don't need to yeah. go through there for a number of things. So we do things through VS code and so on. And that's, I think the benefits are really of understanding A full understanding of uh, across in marketing for across the business, uh, speed to market as well, and and better execution because we've got that T shaped culture having the right fundamental knowledge where it matters and and this bit of extra skills.
0: Better engagement as well. Uh, I guess you've probably managed a fair few teams over the years. Do do you find this T shaped model because there's Bringing so much variety to their their jobs does it does it mean better engagement for them and staying with you for longer? I guess yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And because of this model, this because there's no barriers, yeah, people are very open with each other. Everybody can contribute to any. Area of, of marketing. In fact, the whole team contribute to our social uh, and, and content. You've got a great idea, let's do it. There's no oh, this is this is not my territory. I can't really speak up. You yep. know, that's that's really enabled that I thing, the collaboration and, and the engagement. We get excited about you know everything, not just what what you've done in your individual channel. It, it's it's pretty cool to be honest. I think uh, we're such a strong unit as a result. I think mm-hmm. the marketing team. Really really strong you need really aligned behind behind the same goals uh, everybody loves coming to the office and being together we we only do that twice a week uh, but people love it
0: Good I wanted to touch upon leadership with you and and certainly mm-hmm. I mean you mentioned earlier that you've you've grown from was it three to fourteen people in the marketing team so that's scaling up certainly in the last uh, last year or so. What leadership lessons have you learned? over the last 18 months or so i guess during the pandemic that that you kind of take with you from now
1: on i think the, the first one is specific to the pandemic it's really mm-hmm. empathy I, th- I think you know empathy towards our customers empathy towards our, p- our people mm-hmm. was very important Trust as well i mean i've always been like that but i think the pandemic has enhanced that you know, people moving remote and I think this actually is interesting because the feedback one of my team gave me recently in their review which is that it is quite nice that I I start from the basis I trust people to Mm -hmm. do a good job as opposed to finding a reason to think that they won't do a good job and and getting to involve and I think for them it's been very motivating especially when we were in a remote or or semi-remote situation. I think what what I what I really value is is attitude within the team, attitude to to learn, attitude to want to do more, attitude to uh, experiment, and, and so on. I think w- with the pandemic, we've had to, such a pace that we needed that that positive attitude throughout, and that's helped us come out so strong from this pandemic.
0: What challenges do you believe CMOS are going to face? in 2022? What are the key challenges do you think CMOs will face?
1: The biggest challenge is going to be talent, I think, Alex. It's going to be finding the right talent. There's a lot of talented people out there, but working for a scale-up is very different to a traditional business. It Mm -hmm. it works at a pace. It requires, like you said, certainly for Superscript, for you to be willing to become a T-shaped marketer. Uh, And I think this is where for me, anyway, it's going to be the biggest challenge finding the, the right individual that is not just a, a specialist marketer in the individual channels or even a generalist, but someone that gets data, gets product, gets take, and can work with that sort of mentality that we have that is mm-hmm. ultra collaborative.
0: And to be fair, we, we didn't set this up, by the way, for anyone listening, but it, it very much nicely takes me on to... The next area I wanted to, to cover, which was going to be around hiring, <laughs> I wanted because I wanted to ask you a question. Again, you've gone from three to fourteen people very quickly. You've managed teams before Superscript as well. I just wanted to, to get a bit of your own insight. What what's your what's your go to my when hiring? Is is there any particular question or interview style or task maybe that that you tend to give people? What served you in good stead when hiring over the years?
1: I've always had a very conversational style in interviews. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to let the people talk. I don't have like a battery of questions that I have to fire out. You know, every three minutes—that's not quite my style. Of course, I've got a a discussion guide, but I think you know when you think about it, it's a bit of a fake situation, isn't it? A yeah. uh, one-off interview. So for me, it's important to let the people go free uh, and ask some opening off questions for them to. To talk, and this is where you can really read more into a candidate. I think uh, the way they talk about the experience, talk about themselves, and you know, you can then build on the conversation to tease out what is most relevant. So, so for me, it's a formula which I like to stick to. Nice, uh, I don't really have a strict interview guide. I do like to ask them mm-hmm. uh, what they wished I'd ask them that I didn't ask because, again it is a finite amount of time you have with someone and they might have something super exciting to say that, you know, they didn't get a chance to, and I want to hear it. So I like to give this opportunity to candidates and I do like a task, but, you know, again, it's a really short task. I think it's good to see for me, whether a candidate understands, superscript Mm -hmm. understands insurance, understands a business. So often, I will ask them to complete a small little task. Again, it's more about their approach, tackling the task, whether it's a problem, whether it's completing a particular brief. Um, and it's it's a, it's an excuse for more of a conversation and more question in the second interview. But usually I've been very quick at recruiting. I don't like long processes yep. and multiple <laughs> multiple interviews. I find peer interviews to be very important.
0: What's a bring in other team members in, do you mean?
1: Yeah, other teams right. So uh, f- from, from other departments, okay. uh, whether it's product underwriting or whatever, like key stakeholders that I would have to work with. And often I would end also with a bit of a team chat. So, so some of my teams would put themselves forward to either have a drink and then we're back to the office or have a quick lunch with, with the candidate to see if there's any sort of chemistry there. Again, because I think working for a scale-up is, is very different, right? So mm-hmm. if you... Say you're somebody who's very corporate, very structured, that doesn't lack ambiguity, etc. It's probably not right for you. And uh, you you can sometimes uncover some of these things in a more casual setting than you yeah. would in a direct direct interview.
0: Okay. Now, that all sounds really good. Give us um, some secret insight, Mai. What's, what's the latest tech? What's the latest SaaS tool, marketing channel that you've recently been using or maybe throughout this year that's really helped you to drive growth or hit your targets? What what is it that you've been using recently, channel tool, whatever you want that's that's helping you to to do well?
1: So I'm gonna answer your question with not a channel but a tool that okay. I love and that we all love in marketing, which is Tableau, which allows you to pull your data and analyze it and visualize it in the way that provides you very useful insights and actionable insights. Okay. For us in marketing, it's been fantastic because we, we all have access to Tableau. It's self-serve. We can pull different data sets, run all sorts of analysis. And it's been amazing how we could put some of the data to use back into some of our channels, whether it's for... Creating lookalike audiences or optimizing a conversion funnel, etc., with phenomenal success. So I am super excited because I come from a, from in my previous companies I would have to always ask a BI analyst for right. a bespoke piece of insight. I would have mm-hmm. to make different you know requests or raise a ticket just to get a bit of a you know a bit of data here or there. Was here every day marketers at SuperScript would use Tableau. That's and that's not just your digital marketer or your UX people in, in product, but um a PR manager, for example, uses that tool a lot, can create mm-hmm. great analysis, great stories as well. So it is it's just a phenomenal phenomenal tool and I'm so grateful that we we have it now because we can again move at pace we don't have to raise a ticket wait for analysis to then move on and we can use it for tracking experiments and all sorts uh, it's it's, uh, it's fantastic it's been a fantastic tool
0: lovely good now my for anyone that um, that perhaps wants to to follow up with you after this podcast maybe to talk more about these uh, these communities or moving transitioning from B2C to B2B. Best way to get in touch with you is is that via LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, definitely LinkedIn. My Fenton. I think I'm the only My Fenton on
0: LinkedIn. <laughs> Good stuff. Well we'll have a I few don't know. links. I don't know we'll have a few have. links underneath <laughs> anyway for uh, for everyone to uh, to reach out to my if they want to. But look, I know how busy you are. I know it's uh, a bit of a crazy period as well for a lot of businesses, so I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to to come onto the podcast today and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed speaking with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Alex.
0: Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another edition of the CMO series on the Scale of One to Tech podcast. I wanted to take this opportunity, as it's the last podcast before the festive season, to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I've got lots of CMOs lined up to speak with in 2022, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to sharing all their stories, insights with you in the new year. This episode of the Scale of One to Tech is sponsored by EOpinion eOpinion is on a mission to change the face of the survey industry by captivating and entertaining your users and customers. They use 30-second speedy polls to create interesting stories, actionable insights, and increase engagement. Listeners of the Scale of 1 to Tech podcast can get a half price speedy poll by heading over to eOpinion.org forward slash Alex.